0: talking about it this is hamilton today with scott thompson on 900 chml
1: hey it's hamilton today sorry no rhyme today i have a weather headache or perhaps it's the election campaign that one was good i'm curtis thompson scott sud ted diana and lisa are in the newsroom will is on the board and here's
0: Scott Thompson! How's that? Uh, good afternoon, it is 3.09, it is Hamilton today. Ted Michaels with us, Diana Weeks, uh, Will on the board. And uh, poll question of the day today uh, asking you, uh, is $750 fine for those who do not comply with a vas- uh, vaccine certif- uh, certification uh, certi- uh, system, uh, is that fine too high or too low? I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? I think that's just about right. Uh, although I know in Quebec, I think it starts at about a $1,000 and then uh, goes up from there. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see how that tra- how that transpires over the course of the day. And yesterday's poll question of the day, the most important federal issue, federal election issue, uh, pandemic recovery at the top, which I guess makes complete sense, and then housing. And I think that's an issue that has jumped up that uh, nobody really predicted uh, prior to the election campaign. Everybody was talking about health care, of course, uh, which is coming up next, uh, in the line after that. And then climate change. So, uh, fascinating how, uh, climate change, such an issue prior to the pandemic. Now it is, uh, completely reversed. Not that it's not important, but housing, uh, and housing affordability has jumped to the top of the pack on, uh, right behind getting out of this global pandemic as, uh, one of the most important issues, at least included, at least according to our very unscientific poll. Today we're focusing on vaccine passports. And again, you will hear the results of this tomorrow morning with Rick Zamprin on Good Morning Hamilton. But seven hundred and fifty dollar fine is uh, where I guess it starts for those who don't comply with the Ontario uh, vaccine certificate system. I think it starts at like a thousand bucks in Quebec. But the question is, is that too high or too low? What have you got so far, Will? Well, if twenty six percent of the people are saying it's too high, seventy three point eight are saying it's too low. All right, all you have to do is go on our Twitter page and get all the details there and uh, cast your ballot. And don't forget, September 20th, cast your ballot as well. Uh, ontario's digital id and vaccine certificate system is on the way september 22nd goes into effect and then october uh 22nd i believe the digital version is available to talk more about all of this and how it is affecting small business and what does small business think about all of this julie uh, kwasinski is with us cfib director of provincial affairs for ontario canadian federation of independent business and is with us now julie thank you for the time i hope you're well
1: I am well. Thank you for asking. And thanks for having me on on behalf of all of our members in Ontario, Scott.
0: We've chatted uh, at length about vaccine passports or or certificates before they were uh, brought to before they came to fruition. Now it looks like on September 22nd, they will. Uh, How is this being uh, accepted by the members? What are your thoughts on the new uh, vaccine certificate program?
1: Well, as I mentioned on your previous show, our members are split on this issue of um, vaccine credentials for entry into a business. However, the train has left the station, as the saying goes, so now we need to look out and make sure that the government does its due diligence, that our businesses are ready and the government is supporting them to make sure this can be done. So we still have some issues with the implementation of this on the ground. There are a lot of practicalities that need to be addressed, especially around cost and enforcement, because government is asking businesses to do even more here, Scott. Uh, There's a bit of a burden associated with these tasks. It's kind of a, the way I would phrase it, it's a downloading of a responsibility of government to small businesses. But without any additional financial support to help businesses reallocate or hire new employees or for costs of equipment that they might need when we get to October 22nd, when the codes are have to be scanned, the QR codes. And I don't know what you've been hearing in Hamilton, Scott, but especially in the restaurant industry, there it's a labor shortage. So a lot of restaurant owners have told us, where are we supposed to find this bouncer role when we can't even find people to fill Mm. jobs that are already on the books?
0: Uh, We certainly know... know
1: from our colleagues in Quebec that there are costs associated when you get to the QR code phase because we shouldn't assume that every business just has an ipad or an iphone laying around to do this there should be money for equipment for small businesses that need it
0: uh the majority of canadians when pulled ahead of all of this said they wanted it and they demanded it and it should be mandatory and blah 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 and the majority of canadians are vaccinated why would there be a split then so deep within the membership
1: because the customers don't actually have to implement it that could be one reason and small businesses i mean they're really really tired they've been doing their yeoman service as the saying goes to make sure that they're doing their part to fo- to fight covid-19 and i think it's a different story when you poll the customer that's going into the place of business versus the business that actually has to implement this and i go back to the practicalities of doing this on the ground and when we did our survey scott and i think i mentioned this on your earlier show we were surveying our actual members so small and medium-sized businesses and the results were, if I believe it was 40% in favor, 45% against, and 15% were undecided. Mm. And the number went up a bit, although it wasn't overwhelming when you associated this with whether or not a business stayed opened or closed. But the bottom line, what this comes down to is we have businesses that are very concerned how this is going to work on the ground. And one of the other areas, Scott, is, and I think this is something, there are two things I want to mention here if I have the time. Missing from the announcement yesterday was news about when Ontario will lift remaining capacity restrictions. So businesses like gyms, yoga and dance studios, event spaces, wedding venues, bowling alleys, they're still stuck in step three with a 50% capacity limit. So you're asking them to do this and you're not even saying that you can have higher capacity and these businesses, they're struggling. They can't begin to recover until they're allowed 100% capacity because I have to tell you, Scott, they're going to be at 50% capacity, government tells us, for the foreseeable future, for the unforeseeable future, but the bills are going to keep coming in at 100%. And then we have the whole idea of enforcement. We've actually had a couple of businesses reach out to us all ready say that they've already been threatened
0: uh let me ask you this because you know a a lot of restaurants will have somebody at the door anyway a hostess or whatever putting people in and seating people so and i'm playing devil's advocate here why is this so difficult at the end of the day the person will ask to see proof of vaccine either you have it or you don't if you have it you get in if you don't you don't i mean how is that going to create any more issues for them
1: well in an ideal world it would be lovely (laughs) if that would be a smooth transition but as you know we're starting with matching paper to certain pieces of idea for a whole month yeah so that's going to be a difficult period And hopefully when the QR code comes in, it'll be easier because even things like medical exemptions, the government is hoping to embed those right in the QR code. See, that to
0: me makes makes a lot of sense. To me, that makes a lot of sense to incorporate all of this into one.
1: Sure. If it works, the government says they're trying to do it. But if you have a person at the door and you have a belligerent customer and the government is telling you to call 911, what are you supposed to do with this person who is holding up the line? What Let me you ask
0: you this, Julie. What's, what would be the difference in this in someone who is trying to enter in without a mask? I mean, have we not already been through all of this with the masking debate?
1: Oh, we have, and we had lots of problems. But guess what? This is more of a challenge. At yeah. least you can see the mask. It's visual. How, how can you actually see... Uh, what, what uh, a person has in terms of a vaccination. And then that lends to all the possibilities of fraud. And government has even admitted that they know that there's a potential for fraud here. And again, I'm not trying to fear monger, But it's my job representing small businesses in Ontario to make sure that the government is aware of these potential problems and to be side-by-side with businesses. And yes, in an ideal world, it would be lovely if people could just waltz through, but we know that's not going to be the case. We know that there will be issues, and the question is, I think, maybe what government needs to do is be a little bit more clear on the enforcement how that should work. Because I don't think police services want businesses calling 911 in every situation, but they're not trained in de-escalation. Don't expect a 15-year-old at the door to be able to put off a person who's threatening to breeze past them. So I think we need some education here, um, maybe a triage system on escalation where where businesses are clea- clearly aware. When do I call 911? At what point does the situation have to escalate before I actually call 911? When do I call, because there's non-emergent numbers for police services. Those mm. are available too. And p- provincial offenses officers are going to enforce this. And PO officers are pretty much anyone that the solicitor general designates
0: all right julie we're right out of time i got to cut you off there julie kwasinski with a cfib director of provincial affairs for ontario that's a canadian federation of independent business talking about vaccine certificates passports whatever you want to call them i think a lot of people thought this was going to be the silver bullet uh again the the silver bullet lies in the vaccination get one All right. Between a uh, global pandemic and now an election campaign, uh, most people's heads are spinning when it comes to information. And uh, certainly once uh, leaders like Donald Trump came into the picture, all of a sudden the whole thing seemed to change. Uh, and what we have now is just vast amounts of information coming at us, and it's up to us to decipher what is truthful, what is not, what's real, what's fake. Let's bring in Mark Busser, Professor uh, Exper- uh, Exper- uh Experimental Education, McMaster University. He teaches about fake news and conspiracy theories, and boy, his head must be spinning these days. Mark, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott.
0: It's interesting uh, that we're talking about this now. Just the other day, uh, my uh, just on the weekend, my family, my daughter and I and my wife voted at the advance uh, polls. And it was the first time voting for my daughter and, you know, the whole pencil and all that sort of thing. And she came back and she said, look, Dad, there's a thing on TikTok that says that the pencils, because of the pencils, that this, this uh, election can be rigged, it can be fixed. And it was fascinating to hear this. It was something that was on TikTok. And then one of the news organizations Elections uh, did a fact checker thing on it and they had the guy from Elections Canada uh, actually marking a ballot and then trying to rub it off and using his finger and, you know, uh, wetting it and all this sorts of stuff. And it just wasn't true. It's amazing how this stuff comes about.
2: It really is. And what we're finding is that it's a lot easier to make sort of a, a nonsensical claim that gets a lot of traction than it is to refute one. It takes a lot more work to to get to the evidence and the actual answers than it does to casually just throw up a TikTok.
0: It's amazing how much time the media has to spend on just chasing fake facts.
2: That's true. And there's a, it's an old saying that you know, the, the amount of effort uh, that it takes to do really careful fact-checking or to refute somebody in a debate if they make a nonsensical point is just an, almost an order of magnitude greater than it is to just throw out something casual in a tweet or even in a, in a press release.
0: Why are we where we are? I mean, no trust in institutions or little, uh, you know, questioning, I shouldn't say this is everybody, but questioning trust in institutions, uh, lack of unity, divisiveness, uh, lots of extremism. How did we get to where we are, Mark?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of different um, reasons we could look at. And from a social science perspective, we'd want to look at a number of psychological or cultural educational ones. But one answer I think includes technology, just how easy it is for people with a platform uh, or people without a platform to get a platform and to say something shocking, something intriguing, and something even sometimes fun that can also turn out to be dangerous. And so social media in the past few years has really exploded in terms of giving people a platform to say nonsense very easily.
0: Everybody's the media now. How do you explain the hospital protests? How do you explain the way these have become uh, a focus of attention?
3: right
2: well i mean uh, i know the hospital protest has been condemned by all the major political leaders and i know the canadian nurses association came out and, and critiqued these protests for mm-hmm. being sort of anti-science and certainly not representative of the type of uh thing that uh, our nursing organizations want them to see but an, an underlying issue i think is that whenever there's major upheavals major change and whenever people really start to feel the impact of the economy or the government Um, conspiracy thinking and sort of anti-science thinking and anger and frustration starts to well up, and then we get a lot of misinformation.
0: How do you balance that during an election campaign?
2: Well, it's hard, but luckily, um, uh, if you look to um, media sources that have a reputation for you know, good faith investigation and getting down to the truth, there often is a lot of fact-checking uh, that's going on. Every claim that leaders make it gets run through the, you know, the nonsense meter. Um, so I think it's, uh, in elections, it's sometimes easy to find fact-checking, but it's in between elections that we also have to really pay attention. Mm, good
0: point. Yeah. Uh, in regard to the hospital protests, in, in you know, many people have, once this sort of gained momentum, who are these people? What is this organization? Who did they come from? And they actually use the name nurse, in their name. Talk about that because, again, that's fooling a lot of people to thinking this is some sort of legit nursing organization.
2: Well, and this is one of the powerful things about social media, right? You can create a group, create a web page, and create a logo that gives you this air of authenticity. And so when we think about frontline nurses, we really value frontline nurses for the work they do. We know that they're often underappreciated. We we often hear uh, from friends and loved ones about how important nurses are. So then to use this tag frontline nurses, uh, in order to support anti-science thinking and so really questionable practices of, of protests outside of hospitals, this is a, a kind of a shame, but it speaks to how easy it is for people to misrepresent their credentials, to frame themselves as experts and to speak outside of their own expertise, um, in, especially in a social media era. So really questioning who we're listening to, what an organization means and what other organizations are out there that we maybe should be listening to better is really important.
0: It seems bizarre at the beginning of this uh, global pandemic. People were standing on their front porch and on their balconies banging pots and pans in support of frontline workers and healthcare staff. Now it's protests.
2: Right. Well, I think, and this is what's misguided about some of these protests, in addition to harmful, is that it's partially being inspired by people presenting themselves as nurses that that allows people to join protests right but I think it's really important that we always ask tough questions about how representative certain groups are of the professions they claim to represent we value nurses because of you know the medical science they apply in their day-to-day work and we value the work that they do but as a result we ask that uh, all those nurses be medically oriented and be science uh, based in their decision making. And that's why I think the Canadian Nurses Association has come out so strongly con- to condemn this group and the protests.
0: Uh, Donald Trump and his presidency change all of this. It seems it's OK to lie now.
2: Well, I mean, there's consequences too to lying, right? Uh, Donald Trump also uh, lost his reelection. I can't yeah, so, <laughs> good point. Uh, we have a back and forth in politics.
0: What about how his influence has influenced others?
2: For sure. I think, and I think that's going to be a longstanding uh, challenge for politics uh, insofar as other leaders think, OK, if I just make really outlandish claims and get a lot of um, earned media attention, then I can maybe rocket myself to the top. And if I'm just uh, you know, aggressive and belligerent to my opponents in primary races, maybe I can be, become the nominee. But I think that sometimes uh, we underestimate Donald Trump's kind of unique circumstances. And I, I like to think that, um, that uh, his unique blend of advantages won't appear so often. And that, uh, that now that the speech of the media has learned a lot of lessons, we won't see them enabling another candidate in that same way.
0: But Advice?
2: Point, yeah, sorry.
0: No, I just interrupt. Advice to those of us looking for information?
2: Well, I think always asking tough questions about our own assumptions, uh, looking to our friends and colleagues for you know good faith debates and trying to find media sources that really correct their own mistakes, that that uh, take pride in, in making corrections and in making sure there's evidence behind um, what they're saying. So instead of a post-truth or post-evidence error, we just look firmly to the evidence and firmly to our education and our lifelong education.
0: Mark Busser with us, professor, uh, professor Experimental Education, Social Sciences, McMaster University, teaching uh, fake news and conspiracy and what it is all about. Not teaching fake news, of course, but to be aware of it. Mark, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks for having me. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Let's count down to Ted. You know, he's retiring soon. 91 days. I have a days. feeling. I have a, is that what it is? 91, 91 days. It's All right. It's three months today. He's got the big X on the calendar yep. on the wall in the kitchen. There yep. you go. Yep. You were talking about uh, being in Sarnia yes. and your exposure to Detroit radio yes. while you were in Sarnia. Yep. And I thought you said you had worked, but no, you were no, there no, no. visiting a friend. Were you visiting less?
2: Uh, less and a couple of other friends. One was who was a sales rep there and another person who went to Mohawk College with who was also working at the station that no longer exists, like a lot of AM stations, uh, unfortunately. Les-
0: Les Palango, of course, yeah. uh, who we used to work with for many, yep. many years. Uh, the station was CKJD. I also yes. worked at. I also worked at that station. Really? The exact same station. Five forty-six North Christina Street. Why do I remember that? <laughs> I don't know why you remember that. You didn't even work there. I was the one that worked there. No. That's hilarious. Yeah. So well, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I remember what I remember about this place. Yep was, uh, and you remember just the smell of old radio stations and all of that. You know, it's funny you you mention that, because,
2: you know, you walk into a studio, it's got that fresh smell, and I don't know what it is. It's the AC
0: (laughs) or something, but yes. Yeah, it's a a combination of electronics and uh, probably some body odor and some freshener in there, too. Uh, Anyway, I remember there was a small... Uh, cabinet like uh, you know there was sort of like a a series of pipes that were coming down like part of the maintenance system and there was a a door you would open just to expose all these pipes and I guess it was for maintenance reasons for people who was looking after the building and such but people used to sign that and I remember opening up this door and inside that door uh, were all of these signatures of all of these great radio personalities that had passed through the station uh, to that point and uh, I, I bet you any money Les Plango remembers that very well.
2: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And there were a lot of people there. Uh, somebody used to work here on the FM side who was a program director. I still gave him the gears because I wanted to work there for middays. I remember I wanted 16500 He told me no.
0: <laughs> Too much. Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, wow, are you making that much? Sixteen five. There you go. All right, uh, another countdown to Ted. Yep. Funny listening to those stories, and I remember going to Sarnia and then coming back and working at Hamilton at Y95 and running into people, and then the sort of the six degrees of separation. You go, oh, you worked with that person, you worked with that person, and it was amazing the amount of people who had gone through Hamilton who had also gone through Sarnia. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Here we are, five days left uh, in the federal election campaign, September 20th, of course. Uh, you have to get out and... Uh, Vote, 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 vote. Simple as that. Lots of people voting in the advance poll, seeing over an 18 percent increase in the advance polling. Now, is that due to people wanting change or is that due to the fact that we're in the midst of a uh, global pandemic and people just want to get it done and uh, get it over with? To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Henry Jasick, political science professor at McMaster University. He is with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
4: I am well, Scott. Thank you.
0: So, your thoughts on where we are with five days left? Uh, still a virtual tie, it seems that the uh, right now the latest, I guess, the PCs or the Conservatives rather are edging ahead, but still neck and neck. Your thoughts with five days left in this?
4: Well, I think that basically the Liberals their their vote goes a little further in terms of getting seats, so, so I think they're ahead in, in the seats right now. But uh, yeah, but it's basically if, if you're looking at government, you're basically looking at either the Liberals or the Conservatives.
0: Your thoughts on the numbers for the advanced polls, up 18%. Uh, my family and I voted on uh, Sunday. It was pretty easy, in and out, uh, you know, steady, but certainly not. Uh, didn't keep us waiting too long. Uh, I've noticed right away, though, that the number of polling stations are way down, where we would normally walk to vote, and now we have to take a car. How do you think that's going to affect turnout?
4: Well, I mean, in some places it may be for people who are not all that enthusiastic about voting. That may turn that may they may say it's too far away we're not going to vote uh but i do think the the higher turnout we have in the advanced polls is probably mainly due i think to the pandemic where people yeah. don't want to be you know like, going to vote on a on election day for a lot of people you run into a lot of your neighbors and it's sort mm-hmm. of fun being in that place uh, to a certain degree Uh, when you're voting, but uh, I just think people now want to get it over with and uh, try to avoid big crowds if they can.
0: I found it interesting yesterday when uh, the Prime Minister was questioned on a large rally he had yesterday. Uh, I think it was in Brampton. Hazel McCallion was there, Jean Chrétien was there, and people were saying, like, are you, there's like 400 people, I think, and and he was questioned on that, and he said, well, look, you know, we've got 80% of us vaccinated. We've got to live our life. It's amazing we take that position for that scenario, yet uh, mandatory vaccine, we don't take that sort of position on. Uh, that seems to be the wedge issue. It's it's bizarre how this is playing out in the last few days and the gloves are coming off.
4: Yeah, people making make, making their own interpretations that help them out uh, in, in those last few days, that's for sure.
0: What about the fact that uh, many have said uh, as of this week that it certainly started to get a little bit more negative? Is it... Uh, questionable. Should we be questioning a candidate's character?
4: Well, I mean, there's some of the candidates. I mean, we've had today where you know both the, a couple of uh, conservative candidates, a couple of NDP candidates, said things that they probably now regret. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's uh, what parties try to do. Is after you get your candidates, then they say, okay, they start looking in the background of some of these candidates and say, oh, this will embarrass the party. Let's let's put the no the leader on the spot and asking him you know how can he have a candidate in his party who said you know such and such and uh, that uh, you know so that that that's part of the game that's part of the game at the end of the campaign
0: we've certainly seen how uh people have talked about uh, strategic voting or uh you know in regard to uh, the NDP and the Liberals and such but now we're seeing uh the PPC party uh the People's Party uh take off in the polls and start to uh to gain some momentum uh, now ahead of uh, uh obviously the Green and of course the Bloc mm-hmm. how do you explain the rise of the PPC
4: well, there's a lot there's a bunch of people in the in the in the country essentially who are very unhappy. And I mean it's not hard too hard to understand. We've gone through a really rough time and there's a lot of people who, you know, have suffered in this pandemic and uh, you know, they, they 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 you know, they sort of feel they've got the short end of the stick here for many of them I think they probably had to go to work and they couldn't stay home, and they probably know, well, there's people staying home making a lot of money, and they're just working working on their computers or, you know, whatever, uh, online, and they're getting away with it. And uh, so that's alienated, I think, uh, a number of people. And then I just think that the, um, you know, the, the leaders of the, and I think basically the People's Party is taking votes away from both, primarily the conservatives, of course, if you would imagine there's no... Uh, people's party. I mean, I think the Conservatives would have a really nice lead, but they're also taking in Northern Ontario, I think, some uh, some votes away from the NDP. Uh, and I think they're just, you know, unhappy people will look for somebody who's, you know, going to voice their grievances. And I think uh, the, you know, I've been looking at some of their literature, and uh, I think they—they're—they're they're, they're fishing in a in a pond where there's a lot of uh, a lot of fish that might bite on some of those uh, statements they're making.
0: What do you think is going to come uh, come election time? Uh, do you think this is just going to continue increase? Do you think this will take away from the conservatives, or like I guess it's happening on the other side where people will say, you know what, that's not gonna it's not gonna I don't want to park my vote there. I'd rather go with someone who win.
4: Yeah. Well, I think these are people, if they're very, if they're, I mean, I just think voters who are angry are likely to say, if I find somebody who, you know, voices my anger, I'm going to go with them. I don't care if they're going to win or not. You know, I'm going to just go with that person who gives, you know, you know, who gives talks about the, you know, grievance that I have. And so I I think these people are not going to fade away. Uh, I think they, it is interesting how well the People's Party was doing, even though its leader wasn't included in the debates. And uh, so that's uh, I got it. I think that shows you that there is a real support of people who are who are quite unhappy, and they're going to stick with it. And as I said, I think it's it's probably going to hurt the Conservatives the most, the NDP a bit in places. And of course, they're 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 not the type of people who are going to like the government because they sort of feel the government hasn't really taken you know taken into account their interests, whatever their interests may be. So. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's good news for the liberals, but uh, not so good news for the conservatives and the NDP. I think
0: uh, Jean Chrétien out at a Justin Trudeau rally last night. Your thoughts?
4: Well, I mean, there is a lot of open. There is open seats in that. Uh, uh, you know, there are important seats in, in Brampton and Mississauga. Those are there's a bunch of seats there, and these are seats that flip uh, back and forth between the Liberals and the Conservatives and of course Crechant is the type of person by the way who would appeal to people who might uh, in the past have been angry and cuz he he has captured that but he I mean he's much milder these days but I do think it helps the uh, does help the uh, the liberals in that area and uh, they 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 really need to pick up some more seats i think i think at this point uh, you w- i wouldn't bet that uh, that Trudeau is going to get his majority uh, he probably will get a minority and may even have less seats than he had going into this thing. But uh, I don't see how he's going to get a majority. But the, he's got he's to hold on to the seats that he has in that uh, Brampton, Mississauga area. That's pretty critical.
0: Henry Jacek with us, professor of political science at McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Be well.
4: Okay, I will. Thank you very much.
0: This is and only this is hamilton today with scott thompson on 900 CHML. poll question of the day today 750 bucks for those who do not comply with the vaccine certificate system uh, in ontario is that too high is that too low will you got an update on where this stands yeah 25.9 percent of people say that is too high and 74.1 say too low that's interesting. Uh, we're going to be talking to the Canadian Federation of Independent Business coming up in just a bit. They're still kind of split on the whole vaccine passport because it's up to them to try to figure out uh, who gets in, who doesn't get in, uh, and, and uh, obviously they are concerned. They don't want to be the gatekeeper, so to speak. So uh, it'll be fascinating. We'll talk to them coming up at next hour and find out where uh, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business sits on all of this. Uh, Quebec, I think their fines start at about $1,000, uh, so they're ahead. Of But again, how are you going to make any of this stick or uh, who's going to enforce that? Uh, I guess if things get unruly at the door, you can always call the police. But other than that, I think uh, each individual merchant, retailer, what have you, restaurateur, is uh, on their own. All right, here we are, five days left, uh, day number 32 of the Canadian election campaign. And uh, boy, it's uh, full swing. The gloves are off. Uh, Let's uh, play a report from Mike LeCouture. He is following uh, conservative Aaron O'Toole heading into Quebec. We're not your dad's conservative party anymore.
2: O'Toole admits that conservatives have not been as strong in the past on issues like climate change and they haven't done enough to appeal to unions, something he has tried to change over the course of this campaign. Still, he's facing an uphill battle as a former MP and current candidate had to apologize for claiming that you were 13 times more likely to die from the Delta variant if you were double vaccinated than if you were unvaccinated.
0: The candidate in question apologized and clarified the record. I talk every day, and I'm glad to, about how safe and effective vaccines are.
2: O'Toole continues to say that he is the only option to replace Justin Trudeau as prime minister, and it's a message you'll likely hear him repeat in this final stretch of the campaign. Mike Couture, Global News, Saguenay, Quebec.
0: All right, that's uh, what Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is up to heading through Quebec uh, Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail with him, Abigail Beeman from Global News. Uh, They were at a Brampton uh, rally last night. Some complaints about uh, how many people were there, but he is uh, campaigning hard in Ontario. Here's Abigail Beeman.
5: There were several hundred people standing close together at the rally, including two political heavyweights who are also senior citizens, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien and former Mississauga Mayor Hazel McCallion.
2: We followed all public health guidelines around capacity, uh, around people in the room, because we do need to follow uh, those public health guidelines as we get through this. At the same time, we need to recognize that close to 80 percent of Canadians have done the right thing, gotten themselves vaccinated.
5: McCallion says she supports Trudeau and wants to see a majority government for accountability, but she does not support his decision to call an election during the pandemic. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Halifax.
0: Which is kind of odd when you come to think about it. Hazel McCallion, my goodness, uh, just the iron lady. This, uh, My goodness, she just keeps going and going and going and going and supporting Justin Trudeau uh, at that rally and then goes outside and says, you know, but there shouldn't be an election at that time, which was quite odd. Uh, here's what the prime minister had to say in regard to uh, former mayor of Mississauga, Hazel McCallion, saying that there shouldn't be a uh, federal election during a global pandemic.
2: When I sat down with Hazel before this uh, the the event last night, uh, she brought that up, and I talked to her about how important it is uh, that Canadians get a choice right now. And even after that, Hazel, of course, will always have her strong perspectives, and that's why we love her. And she came out and gave us a full-hearted, strong endorsement. And she knows about serving communities. She knows about building a better
0: future. And she knows when to call an election uh and i guess hazel is just basically feeling the same thing that that everybody else uh, has been feeling it'll see it'd be interesting to see what happens uh come september 20th as a result of all of this <laughs> just get vaccinated just get vaccinated just get vaccinated and uh sitting at about 593 new cases today and things seem pretty stable which uh, is is good for ontario considering where we are and uh, the kids getting back into class uh, obviously out west it's um it's a different story and uh, that being said there is hope as uh, ages 5 to 11 and Hopefully soon uh, will be uh, will be approved for the vaccination and then for uh, and therefore uh, make life in schools a little bit less anxious. Let's bring in Dr. Omar Khan, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto, and a medicine by design investigator is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Your thoughts on where we are uh, in the country today. Let's start with Ontario. Our cases seem to be reasonably uh, stable, uh, sitting around the 500, uh, 600 mark, somewhere in around there. Uh, the first week uh, of school, obviously, behind us. Your thoughts of where we are? We know with Delta that even if you're vaccinated, you could still get infected
6: and therefore test positive. The question is, do you still have protection against severe disease and Needing to go to the hospital and getting a ventilator put in you, well, if we look at the current numbers, they're dominated by people who are unvaccinated, and that is uh, a good positive sign that the vaccines are continuing the job at preventing you from getting severely sick and needing to be you know intubated. That's that's an important takeaway. So, um, in that respect, things are are, are going well so far.
0: Uh, you were talking about in this is this has been talked about uh, at length that this this fourth wave is a fourth wave of the unvaccinated the majority of the people the new cases are those who are not fully vaccinated or unvaccinated for some reason uh, there still is a small amount of people who have been fully vaccinated Who are coming down with it. Can you talk about that part of this equation and that just because those people are necessarily testing positive doesn't mean they're getting sick. Uh, What is the condition of those people who who would test positive even after a full immunization? In general, the older you get, you have a reduction in how
6: well your immune system works. That's nothing new. We kind of know that. So what we can be seeing that for people who are vaccinated and who are being admitted to the hospital, you know, what are, what's the context around this? Are they older or do they have some kind of other condition? Like are they immunocompromised? Do they have recent surgery that resulted in a, you know, transplantation? These are all things that could help uh, reduce your immune system's ability to fight. And that's an important context and takeaway. I think, this is part of the reason why health officials are looking at doing a third boost to help those people who remain vulnerable. So now it's important to look at that smaller group because with Delta, it spreads so easily. And it can find people, even vaccinated people, who have a, um, a reduced immune efficacy
0: uh are you surprised that um you know at this date with one week under our belt for school that we haven't seen more cases um are you expecting more in the next week or so or is that this a good sign that we're holding our own it's it's
6: still early and, and we can always expect a lag in yeah. the reporting and the data so let's be cautiously optimistic but continue to look at it but i think it's it's good i think In part, we have really good vaccination numbers, and I think people are are generally more conscious about practices as well, which are really important. But the other news is that we see that some of these vaccines might actually be approved for children under 12 soon in places like America, so that can help with the virus. So there are a lot of things happening all at once, but a lot of them are potentially good things.
0: Uh, anything more on the vaccination front uh, regarding those five to eleven years of age? Uh, many are saying around Christmas time. I understand they're undergoing testing at this point, trials. Yes, so those clinical trials actually started quite some ago, and the data has been coming in over time. And the bulk
6: of the data, for example, the FDA has been looking at it almost in real time and seeing that it is indeed safe. Now, with children, the, what what do you do with those vaccination trials? Is that you wait till you know, a bunch of older people and go through the trials and it's been shown to be very safe in men. And then if you have a lot of data that shows it's safe, then you can look at kids because likely it's safe in them. So that's why these trials happen later, but the data is looking good. That's why the FDA is thinking that they can actually approve this, you know, appropriately and safely given the data that they're seeing now. So that means that can the might see it happening soon. It just depends on when those vaccine makers submit their data to Health Canada.
0: Uh, Just because they are kids, would we assume that they would just be a less dosage uh, for younger people than there is for older people? How does that work? We
6: don't know what the correct doses for people are in general. So that's why clinical trials, different doses in all sorts of people, to figure out what the ideal amount is. And that's no different for children. And I think that's what people are trying to do. Ideally, you always want to minimize anything, no matter what it is. And so that's what these kind of dose trials are to be and let us know. So we'll wait to see that data. But for now, you know, it, it continues to look positive.
0: Uh, one of the questions we always still get is why do people who are vaccinated still need to be wearing masks indoors?
6: Well, this is a really important question to answer as well. Now, the challenge is that with Delta, you can be vaccinated, you can still get it, test positive, and you can still spread it, but you're protected against severe disease. So that's the problem with spreading now. So you, if you're vaccinated and you can still spread it to an unvaccinated person, then that's part of the issue. And we look at who's unvaccinated, children under 12. So we really want to make sure that we reduce their risk, and that, that can really help with that and until we can get vaccines out to people and even out the risk. So everybody's at the same risk level, and then we can start, you know, feeling more comfortable because no one is, you know, disproportionately affected because of everyone else's behavior.
0: Dr. Omar Khan has been with us, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and the Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
6: Take care, everybody. Bye.
0: Justin Trudeau's Canadian publisher struck a deal in the first year of the Liberal government taking office for a Chinese state-owned publishing house to republish the Prime Minister's memoir, Common Ground, for its Chinese readers under a new title, The Legend Continues. Uh, The Chinese translation with the title alluding to Mr. Trudeau as Prime Minister following in the footsteps of his father Pierre, who first launched relations with communist-led China, came out in 2016 as Beijing was coaxing Canada to deepen its relationship with China in ways such as a free trade deal. Uh, Former senior foreign policy and senior advisors to the Prime Minister, security advisors to the Prime Minister say they were not consulted on this arrangement and would have advised uh, mr trudeau to reject the deal with a publisher that reports to the local chinese communist party Uh, to talk more about all of this and what it means let's bring in gordon holden director of the china institute and professor of political science university of alberta and is with us now gordon thanks for the time hope you're well i'm well scott thank you so gordon why is this a big deal why are people talking about it now does it matter
3: I think the reason that people are, it's raised eyebrows is the judgment call in, in arranging to do this. Now, when the Prime Minister wrote the book, he was in opposition, it might not have mattered as much. But when you came to the reprint in China, he was already Prime Minister. So it's hard to imagine why anyone would have agreed to this. Um, maybe it just happened without people paying attention. Uh, it was a deliberate decision to go ahead. You know, I question the... And uh, the aspect of it, the appearance of it, at the very minimum, because it creates the impression there may be a conflict of interest, particularly if there's money involved.
0: Did he know about it, and does he make any money out of this?
3: Well, it's a very good question. The the prime minister's office is saying that all the money profits go to the Canadian Red Cross. Um, we yeah, that's the that's the
0: Canadian version. What about on? the ver- Yeah, what about well, the version in China? No thought. one,
3: given the a business relationship, that the publisher and the publishers I deal with. I can tell you, far less popular books, are, always want to know, do you agree? And they let you know what they're planning to do. So it's someone in his office, if not him personally, who had to be aware. And the question of money, well, if it goes to the Canadian Red Cross, that's one thing. But, you know, it's a question of, is that actually what occurred? And that would be difficult to know, perhaps, because they, at least on the Chinese side, it seems that they're not saying anything.
0: We don't know anything about China, so how could we possibly know where the profits of the book go?
3: Well, I think a clear statement from the publishers, when I understand they've also declined to comment. But let's say from the Prime Minister's office, I'd be willing to accept a clear explanation with details as to where the the money went if there was a monetary transaction. But of the three parties, the Chinese side, uh, the publisher, and the Prime Minister's office, you think that one of the three uh, ought to be able to provide confirmation.
0: Uh, The Chinese ambassador to Canada in 2016 strongly recommended this book. Why was this such a hot read for China?
3: Well, I know of Ambassador Luo, uh, who was ambassador at the time. I think that with the election of Prime Minister Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, there was an expectation and hope on the Chinese side that things would go back to the relationship thing under previous Liberal governments, as opposed to the cooler relationship uh, under Prime Minister Harper, that was the expectation, and it took some time for those expectations to dissipate. And it took some events—a failed free trade agreement, uh, Huawei, and then, of course, eventually the two Michaels, the most serious of the three—but that combination of those events and many other smaller things related to investment, etc., basically told the Chinese that it wasn't going to be um, uh, Pierre Trudeau II. This was not going to be what they then described at the time as a new golden age in the relationship, but rather it was going to be uh, a difficult period. Uh, and that, but the book, clear that when Ambassador Jaa said that this was going to be the situation, or was it going to be positive, he had not yet foreseen or hadn't foreseen what was actually going to happen.
0: What about the changing of the title to The Legend Continues? That sort of, it sort of gives you the impression they love this man and his father.
3: I think that's all deliberate. I think that's quite deliberate. It's uh, not the first time that China's, they're selected, of course, because the publishing businesses are not run directly by the Communist Party, but they all report to the Communist Party. And so there's always going to be a a political look-in as to whether the book is acceptable or not. Now, if it's a, a book about, I don't know, platypuses or the Amazonian rainforest, no problem. But if it's a a political dimension, and this would inherently have one, they're going to look and see is this something that they want to do, that is, the party, or something they don't want to do. And I think their views shifted.
0: Uh, Security advisors said that they didn't know about this book deal at the time, and if they had have known about the book deal at the time, they would have told the prime minister to reject this. How come they weren't notified?
3: Well, one thinks that that would be a procedural error, the Prime Minister's office. I think that, well, I'm just looking at the various comments in the Globe articles, and there wasn't a single person that thought this was a good idea. Now, of course, hindsight is 2020, 20, but um, you know anything that involves um, potentially money being transferred and the, uh, a flattering book portrayal in China is probably not a good idea. So I don't think that was rocket science. It is interesting that they all said they were unaware of it. I intended. I usually tend to accept what people say unless I have good reason otherwise. So that would then point to an error of communication within the office, that whether the good advice wasn't sought or it wasn't taken. Uh,
0: how how could this not uh, how could this not pay the prime minister? I mean, they're literally republishing his book. Uh, and I guess we're just to assume it's under the same deal that the the, the North American rights were under, but we certainly don't know that. Uh, are we to assume that he's not getting anything for
3: this? Well, I think there are some clarity is needed, and I think that the, the two ways for that to happen, one would be the Prime Minister's office simply say, give the details, no, this was, here's a document, uh, the money was gone to the uh, Red Cross of Canada, or quite frankly, the Red Cross of some country, uh, or that the Prime Minister's office clears the publisher to be able to clarify the details. I think that would be ideal, and it could either put the thing to rest or, or raise more questions.
0: What does this do for the Prime Minister now?
3: Well, I think that the his principal opposition in this election, the Conservative Party, has already tried to make China a major factor in the election. I don't think it has been. Foreign policy is very seldom is a major issue in the General elections. We can intend to decide things on basis of, of things related to money or domestic issues. Or in this case, perhaps now COVID, COVID, etc. So I think this is uh, one of the will be one of the sort of talking points related to Prime Minister and China. Uh, these talking points are all critical, saying that Prime Minister hasn't taken a hard enough line with regard to China on a range of issues. Uh, so I say this would be one of several um uh, one of many and there's some 31 points in the conservative party platform on china more than all the other parties put together times three so this would be part of a uh, of a broad side from the conservative party
0: gordon holden with us director of the china institute and professor of political science with the university of alberta gordon as always thank you so much for the time be well thank you scott And, of course, talking about uh, Justin Trudeau's memoir, his uh, first book uh, being republished in China, and the fallout from that. catch up on the news and information you've missed, this is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Ted's turn to pick the uh, top hour song today, so he picked uh, Stevie Wonder's I Wish. It harked him back to a time, a time of innocence, when he had a few less (laughs) pounds around his belly, a little (laughs) less hair on his back. And, uh... And, and, and remind immediately took him back to a time and place in, you know, uh, yep. a bazillion years ago. Yep. And we were talking about how music does that, how music will really, uh, trigger something in you, which is why it makes us so happy, which is why we need it during times like a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. But Diana Weeks, who's with us, uh, also talking about how different sounds, music being one of those sounds, but how different sounds can trigger a memory. Uh, that we have other than music. Diana, give us an example here.
5: Yeah, so it comes even ahead of sight and smell. Now, this is according to a new poll by audiologist at Specsavers. They surveyed uh, 2,000 adults that are 50 and over. It found 4 in 10 people experience sounds that prompt nostalgic thoughts a couple of times per week at least. So some of those include, this is among the top five, Number one, a specific song or piece of music. Yep. Okay, so that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Waves crashing on the shore.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Bird song. Uh. A crackling fireplace. And walking on fresh snow. And then coming in at 40 was a
0: garden sprinkler, which I find kind you of weird. You don't hear it. I, oh, I know, right? What is that? Let me tell you my garden sprinkler memory. The,
5: see? There like, we I go. Know this,
0: I know this sounds wacky, but I'm, I'm working in Calgary. It's in the 80s, and I go to visit a friend who is living in the Okanagan Valley uh, in Kelowna. And uh, I, I go out there, and by the way, Kelowna is just one of the most beautiful places. The Okanagan Valley, really one of the is. most beautiful places yeah. in, the, in the in the in Canada. My goodness, uh, that's why they call it beautiful British Columbia. Anyway, he lives on the edge of a uh, an orchard, and so he's just sort of outside of town. And oddly enough, he was in a trailer park, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like trailer park boys. <laughs> so you know, I wake up in the morning, and all I hear is. <sighs> see <laughs> yeah and then and the windows are open at spring the smell of the uh of the flowers in the orchard and such my goodness yeah absolutely yeah. sorry did i go too on did i go on too long on the garden spring
5: no no that's really good and and some other ones on here are pretty interesting too so cicadas humming that's one of mine actually yes. like when i hear that it's like oh that's yeah. summer right there yeah for sure yeah
0: that's a good one yeah uh, I was looking at more of these, uh, and this is certainly valid in Hamilton: the sound of a waterfall.
5: Yeah, yeah.
0: Coming in at number six, uh, this might Ken, uh, Ted might like this one: a cat purring.
5: <laughs> I what definitely insinu- like that one.
0: What, what's insinuation there?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I I had a cat. Yeah, like, I had I
2: two cats when I was a, a kid.
0: They both died, but that's another story. <laughs> 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 so you don't like cats? You I don't didn't like say, that? No, I can just see, don't even I could start. Just see no, I can see. You know, we had a neighbor that hated cats, and he'd come over to our house, and he'd have a little too much to drink, and he'd pass out, and the cat would just sit on his head. It was bizarre that the cat just seems to go to the person they know hates them the most.
5: Yeah, exactly. They I have don't that. Hate cats.
0: You're I, gonna get a ton of emails from I, cat see, lovers. No, me yeah.
5: yeah, included. Yeah.
0: Do you have Do you have cats, Diana?
5: I do. I have two. Yep. Yeah.
0: See, what's it? Why can't you just have one cat? Why do you need two?
5: Well, because we merged the cats. So one of the cats, Zoe, was my husband's cat. And then Sweet Pea was my cat. It's like a blended family. It was. And when we moved in together, it was a lot of polysporin and Band-Aids. Let's just put it that way. The cats, they didn't get along at first. Yeah, it was. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We had to do several measures to get them to like each other.
0: Yeah. Really? And how how did the adults uh, handle this? Did they get along through all this uh, tumultuous time with the cats? Yeah, we
5: were okay like i said some scratches but we were all right and uh you know we did the whole thing where you had to close the door and then let one of them sniff under the door so they were hissing at each other on opposite sides of the door <laughs> it was a time let me tell see, you cat
0: see ted would have loved this time the best uh the best time to have cats is when they're fighting says ted this would be humorous for him uh, yeah you know what i found also neat on this list church bells yes and mm-hmm. then, you know, I, I'm not sure about that one. Bees buzzing, a thunderstorm.
5: I love that uh, rain, sound, though. Yeah, yeah, always. The
0: sound of a thunderstorm? Oh, sure, yeah. as long as there's, you know, the, your phone isn't going off because yeah. there's a tornado warning in the uh, in the area. True. As long as that's True. not happening, we're going. Yeah. Uh, children playing outside. Some people find that annoying. Some people find that uh, very pleasant. Ted, <laughs> you hate uh, that, right? It, no, I don't. No, you see? <laughs> once again. Cats and kids.
5: Cats and kids.
0: Forget it,
2: man. Why am I getting piled on here? If they're on my lawn, okay. But
0: otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Speaking of lawns, yep. <laughs> lawns being mowed. Yeah. That's,
5: that's what i mine, to be honest. I really like that sound, too. Yeah.
0: You know, that is something on the weekend, you know, if you hear it in the distance. But again, I remember having a neighbor, you know, he's having a barbecue and the buddy next door is mowing the lawn. It's Sunday. Do you have to be mowing your lawn now? And the other guy goes, well, yeah, it's Sunday. I'm mowing my lawn. Yeah. that's what we uh, do. And uh, a fountain, the radio playing. That's wow. interesting. Sheep buying,
2: bang, bang. There, right here.
0: See, <laughs> bang, bang. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now, this one, this one, I do not agree uh, with at all. The sound of seagulls squawking. What does this remind me of? A McDonald's parking lot here, like <laughs> seagulls squawking, <laughs> oh. fighting over French uh, I'm fries. I'm not into that. Yeah, before you get a plop on your windshield yeah. or whatever. Uh, a train going over the tracks. Cows mooing.
5: It depends on where you live, I guess. I, Maybe I, out in Alberta, they they kind of. That's kind of maybe a memory for people, I guess. I
0: guess as long as you're far enough away that you can't smell them. True. You know, maybe that, that's uh, yeah. a, a, cork, a cork popping, uh, dinner being served up, pouring a drink, mail being delivered. Wow, we're getting pretty... Uh...
5: Ted will remember that.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> I just get a ding uh, on my computer. What's mail, Ted? Does it actually yeah, come in a box? Like an like, like actual letter?
0: You know... The kettle boiling. Sorry, go ahead, Ted. When weeks starts piling on, it's time to leave. (laughs) You know, up until now, Uh, I liked working. Okay, let let me finish. All right, the kettle boiling, an airplane, an airplane flying overhead. You know, there's something about a prop plane. No, you know what I like? I like when uh,
2: we live in the lower city, but every so often, planes that take off from Hamilton International, like cargo planes, for some reason, Mm. it's like it draws me all the time. I look up and say, "Oh, that's pretty cool."
0: Yeah, that's very cool. That's just me. Uh, All right, horses galloping. I like this one: a beer bottle or a tin being opened. That's a good one. Uh, Dog barking, fish jumping out of water. That's a weird one. Street entertainers. No. Yeah, that is a little odd. Uh, A toaster popping, Eh. a coffee grinder. I get that. I don't know. Here's one of my favorite that just takes me and just puts me in a such a a surreal place. It's just it's beautiful whenever I hear this sound. Yeah. Okay, it's no cicada, but you know, what the heck.
5: And now we know where Scott does his show from. That's it. I'm so- Close
0: the door, <laughs> would you?